0: The late morning program with Nam Podcast.
1: Hello everyone. You're listening to the late morning program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. Can can you hear me? I can. Okay,
0: good, good. It works.
1: <laughs> so I'm here with Charu Chandra Prabhu. Charu Chandra Prabhu, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I'm honored to be on your show. Of course, this is the second highest honor you've ever bestowed upon me. Uh, the what first, was the first? Well, you named both your children after me.
1: So. <laughs> That's right. Charu Chandra. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is so cool. Yeah, it's true. Beautiful name. Anyway, uh, Charu Chandra Prabhu actually runs a self-sufficient project or i don't know Well, we can get into it but that's why i wanted to bring him on to kind of pick your brain about uh that kind of thing so i'm hearing oh sorry that's me (laughs) today is like technical yeah anyways so um, maybe we can start out by talking about how you got in contact with devotees and or actually no, before that, where you grew up and how that was, and then how you got contact with devotees.
0: Sure. So, uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania about, um, maybe like 40 minutes outside of Philly. Okay. Like, uh, I wouldn't even call it a suburb when I live Like now it's a suburb, but when I lived there, it was pretty rural still. A lot of my farms there, a lot of my neighbors had farms, stuff like that. Um, So that's where I grew up, like close to Philly, but far enough away where it's not city-like. And um, uh, I came in contact with devotees. I mean, the short version of the story, because it can get pretty long, is um, when I was 13, I had like a eureka moment where, you know, I saw that the people around me, uh, they weren't really being genuine. They weren't being real. They would say certain things to, you know, around other people and then when they were around different people, they'd say something completely different. Right. And so, and I noticed this when I was really young, but when I was 13, I had this Eureka moment. um, uh, And this was like a, you know, a spiritual thing. I was always looking for something real or something spiritual, something transcendental. And uh, like I said, when I was 13, I had this moment where I, I had, I finally had something to gauge um, whether something was, you know, genuine or not. And so what I was doing was I was I was sort of like observing, Um, you know, I was going to church and I would observe the congregation members and see if they actually took what they were learning, all the good information that they were learning and actually living it. Or if they were just sort of like, you know, saying that they were right. And so so what I found was that most people really weren't genuine about it. They, you know, they had a degree of genuineness to them but it wasn't their life it was just something it was something else and so I wanted to find some people that actually you know just did it full on so I I started going to you know I was 13 so I started going to different friends churches and you know I'd like sleep over their house on Saturday and go to their church on Sunday and it was the same thing I'd observe and they're all saying really great stuff but I just didn't see anybody that was actually living it and then I had a friend he was Jewish and so I stayed over his house on a Friday night because they have temple on Saturday went to the temple there same thing really cool but you know there were a few people that were pretty into it but you know not not completely and so then I started reading books reading philosophies uh, I read about Hinduism Islam Buddhism anything I can get my hands on you know which meant like you know my social studies textbook and like whatever was in the library at the time. Right. Right. It wasn't really a vast search, but, um, uh, so after doing that for a few years, I kind of, I kind of gave up the spiritual pursuit and I, I, I went for, um, I went for, I was kind of an adrenaline junkie for a bit because I thought that, you know, cause material is, you know, a certain level and then transcendence is what I was looking for. So I thought that I misconceived that adrenaline was actually something transcendental. Cause you can't get it doing something normal. You have to like jump off a cliff or like, <laughs> That's a, I, that seems logical. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, all right, well, this might be transcendence, you know? And so yeah. I was chasing that for a while. And then obviously what I found out was, you know, you, you do these things and they give you adrenaline, but after you do them for a while, they don't produce that anymore. So you have to go bigger and you have to do more more ridiculous stuff in order to get that feeling. So then I realized also that that was, that wasn't really transcendence. That was just like, you know, another step of material life.
1: What kind of things were they? Like you said, jumping off cliffs or was it, was it actually stuff like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean into water. So right. it wasn't, it wasn't like, right right. No, Yeah.
1: It's, it's into it's, water. You know, okay.
0: But like, you know, but you have to like jump higher and like I would I, you know, things like skateboarding where yeah. you do tricks off of like sets of steps. So you're like, you know, three steps, four steps, seven steps. And then, you know, and then you start realizing, well, this is really stupid because I can't get that feeling unless I do something like where I'm going to really get hurt if I yeah. you know, don't stick it. So um, so that, you know, so then I realized, OK, this is this is also not transcendence. It's just something else. So for a bit, I kind of just gave up and I was really bitter about everything like the whole world just ticked me off, you know, Right. and I didn't think there was really anything real. You know, I thought there's potential because I read about it, but I just couldn't find anybody that actually did it. So I couldn't, you know, communicate with anybody that was on that, you know, on that wavelength. And so, you know, so I gave up. And then this was when I was in, by this time I was 17, I was in high school and I was in English class one day and a fellow sitting in front of me, Um, he had a shirt on and on the back of the shirt, it said quest for certainty and I said, "Hey, I'm also on a quest for certainty. Tell me tell me about yours." And he said, "Oh, it's actually this hardcore band." And I was like, "Oh, never mind, never mind. I don't need to hear about it." Cuz like actually back then, you wouldn't know it now. But when I was introduced to Krishna consciousness, I couldn't stand hardcore music. It just was like I couldn't understand what they were saying. Like, you know, it was just really like loud noise to me. Yeah. And obviously it's changed a bit since then, but um Right. My perception of it but um yeah so i was like yeah never mind i don't want to hear about it you know i was into like hip-hop then and he said no no no. actually these guys don't don't worry about the hardcore part these guys they follow this traditional philosophy it, it dates back really long and you know on wednesdays in philly you can go and like hear them talk you know not them but you can hear people talk about this philosophy that they're also pretty so i said all right well that i'll actually go I'll, I'll check that out know, yeah. and wow. so in philly at uh, govinda's harry place they used to have a wednesday night program and so you know a few of us hopped in my car on a wednesday we went down uh i heard my guru speak for the first time he spoke on brahma Prasanatma. Um, I, I memorized the verse right then and there it, it had such an impact on me and i saw that the people who were there took it seriously to the point where they actually implemented it into their lives you know and that was something that was very impressive to me. Now I mean since how did, you, how did you
1: determine that though?
0: Uh because it's like they were like, okay, here are the rules of spirituality. And I could yeah. see that they were actually following them. And mm. it was like it, and it was presented in a way that, you know, you don't actually have to follow them, but if you want the result, this is how you have to do it. So it was a science. You yeah. know, scientific process means here's the result that you want. You have to go through this process. And if you do it properly, you'll get there. If you do it improperly, you won't. And so I admired that because it wasn't, in other words, they weren't selling you like the highest goal for no effort whatsoever. They were like, well, it'll work, but this is what you have to do. And so there's no compromise on the philosophy. And so that that's what I really admired.
1: Wow. So then did you like, did you join as a Brahmachari or how did, how did it kind of develop you, you becoming a Kari Krishna?
0: So, well, I was 17 at the time, so I couldn't, move into the temple
1: oh 17 wow
0: yeah and uh so well i graduated at 17 and then i I went off to art school for a bit for like a semester and a half and uh i realized that that wasn't the career i wanted ironically then i became an artist but right um i i didn't want to i didn't want to do art for money it's art's an expressive thing and it's something that you know it's, it's something that doesn't make sense if you're doing it commercially really Right for me anyway. So I realized that early on, and I and I and I dropped out of art school. So by that time, by that time, I was eighteen, and uh, I moved into the temple. And so I lived in Philly Temple for uh, a year and a half before I went to Vrindavan for Bhakti Shastri. I went for six months, and then I went back to Philly for about six more months. And then uh, I co ran a preaching center in Long Branch, New Jersey, um, for for a bit.
1: Oh, I remember that.
0: Were you there for
1: that? I wasn't there but I remember that someone was doing something there in Long Branch.
0: You must have been really young.
1: Yeah, I was really young but I was like, oh, the devotees doing that what is that in the, was that in the early 90s or mid 90s?
0: Yeah, 96 is when we started for 96. Oh yeah, that sounds
1: familiar. Yeah, 96. Cool. And then you how was the preaching like how was the results there in Long Branch?
0: So, it was preaching there was great. Um, it was really good mood a lot of, a lot of the devotees that went there compared the mood to 26 second Avenue where it's very intimate, but it's, it's, um, you know, real deep philosophy. We had Bhakti Tirta Swami was there. We had Brahmananda Prabhu come because, uh, at one point when I don't know if you know this about Long Branch, but Srila Prabhupada spent some time in Long Branch. Yes, know? yes. Yeah.
1: I was just talking to Kula Pradeep about it. Actually, yeah. we're like we're like, uh, we should go and try to find that house that he stayed in. But I don't know who yeah. would even know what the we address tried,
0: we tried to find it. So Brahmananda oh, really? was one of the ones that was there and Dasi was there. Yeah. And so that's that's why we brought Brahman under there. We were like, okay, look, we need to find this house, you know. <laughs> that's and, awesome. And he uh, he was like we're going around and he's like, you know, so much of this neighborhood's changed, so we we couldn't we couldn't find it. Oh man. But we did have, you know, it was a great mood. And then what happened was um it, I mean, it was such a great mood that when it when it ended, uh, it ended for whatever reason we don't have to get into it, but yeah. it spun off two separate other sanghas. There was the the brick sangha. And then there was the um, uh, Kalpas up in uh, where would that have been Elizabeth, I guess at the time. Right, right. It would, it would alternate weeks, and then you know because all the devotees were so so used to having the sangha that they were like, well, we have to do something, and then so those two spun off of that. Um, but it was great. Like so, while while we were at it, you know, while while the preaching center was going full force, you know, we had people coming from, you know, the local area. There's college there, Mammoth University. And we had a schedule where every day of the week, except for one day, we had a program. So ours was, uh, sorry, ours was Friday night in Long Branch. And then Saturday we would go to Tawako because they would have a separate Saturday feast and Sunday feast. Saturday was more for like the younger crowd. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And then on Sundays we would alternate between Brooklyn Temple and Philadelphia Temple. So we had this big van we would just take people Sunday. Yeah. Um, Monday was the only day off. Tuesday we went to Twenty Six Second Avenue. Uh, Wednesday we went to Govindas in Philadelphia. Thursday back to Second Avenue again, and then Friday again we're, we're back in, in, in Long Beach. And we had, you know, like I said, college kids, and there were kids from like Red Bank. Uh, we had a good crew, and like I said, every day of the week except for one day we were, you know, out just, you know, immersing them in Krishna conscious activities.
1: That's awesome. It's it's amazing those times were really like happening that 90s the mid 90s yeah. like all these people joining and all these different pro you're you're just talking about programs every single day of the week <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. It's it's funny how that works. It's kind of like uh it's like a cycle of 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 you know the generation the younger generation kind of comes in and then when things need to stabilize then they Become a little slower, but then as another generation comes in, I, at least that, that's that's how I think it will happen. But um, so then after that, what was your um, kind of next le- next stage in in your life?
0: So after that, when when the uh, preaching center ended, um, I got this. It's I call it a half a realization. I got this half a realization that because you know, Brijadh Prabhu, my, my god brother, and I we were we were co running this center. So Uh he was, he, he was taking care of all the financial stuff and I was taking care of like the, the preaching part and like the organization And, um, at one point he just, he wasn't into doing that anymore. And so, you know, that was it for that. And so my half realization, and it's, it's a bad one actually, was that if, if I wanted to do a preaching center, I couldn't rely on anybody. Right. Mm. And so And I call it half realization because, I mean, we can get to that in a minute, but, you know, and it's true. You can't, you can't rely on anybody, but the reason it was a half realization is because I thought I had to rely on myself. Mm. I didn't, I actually had to rely on Christian, but it took me 10 (laughs) years to figure that out. So so what I did was uh, I thought, okay, well, I want to do a preaching center, obviously Um, I'm going to have to fund it. So, you know, I'm not going to go out and ask for donations because I'm not good at that. So I was like, I'm going to have to get a job where I can, you know, still run a preaching center. So I thought, all right, I'll become a teacher. Uh, it's part of my nature and I'll have weekends off in summers and that's when we can do the programs and, you know, like that. So uh, I got a job and saved up to go to college. And so I worked for two years in retail and I was a retail manager for almost two years until I had enough to like start college. And then I, uh, I went to college for three and a half years. And then again, I decided, you know, that wasn't the route for me. So I dropped out, uh, three and a
1: half years,
0: three and a half years. Yeah. I was, I was, so I, I had the, uh, student teaching semester and then one more, like half a semester to do. And I would have, that would have been it for me, but,
1: but you're like, nah, I'm out of here.
0: It was it. No. Cause I'm, see, I'm more into education reform than I I'm into education. Like the way the system's run now, it's not, it's not good. So And you can't, you can't just be a teacher and fix it. You have to, you know, either be, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing. You have to get tenure or you have to be an administrator. And so being a teacher wasn't going to, it wasn't going to really help me. I would have either gone crazy or got fired or quit something. Something would have happened where it wouldn't have been a good career for me. Right. So so then I had to get, I I went through several jobs after that to pay off my student loans because those are really expensive yeah once i got through that um i was able to start saving up and and uh and that's where we are now with with uh with what i it's called the bag commune it's um i have 60 acres in rural kentucky um the first time i owned this property was 12 years ago um and then actually i sold it at one point because we needed a bigger property and then Something happened there anyway. I got it back. So oh
1: now, wow, you got it back after selling it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas. I mean, he's in he's in charge of everything. So
1: well, before we get into the details of it, what what wh- where was this idea conceived from? Like, did you always have an inclination for like, you know, doing this commune and kind of living off the land and things?
0: So that actually evolved. So when I went to Vrindavan to take Bhakti Shastri in ninety-five, um, you know, you go through that course and you're like, OK, I got to preach, you know, and it was Prabhupada Centennial. So it was like, you know, we really got to preach. It was just, <laughs> yeah, this is the mood. This is what we got to do. Yeah. So it was, you know, so the, the idea was preaching center focused on Shastric study because, you know, what I missed in my and it was I was only in the temple for a year and a half. But what I missed was the Shastric study aspect of living in the temple. We didn't really get trained up the way you're meant to. Mm-hmm. In the temple. It was sort of like, you know, it was emergency situation. There was a lot of service that needed to be done. So that's what we did. And anytime we started like a Shastra study group, it would last about two sessions. And then something would happen where some of the devotees couldn't come and we put it off till the next week. And then we just never, we never got traction on any of it. Right. There wasn't that training. So After I went through and got Bhakti Shastri, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do a preaching center and it's going to be focused on Shastric study because if we don't have good backing, you know, we don't have a good foundation. We're not going to stick around very long, or if we do, we're not going to be satisfied and we're not going to make much spiritual progress.
1: That's a really good point now.
0: So it was all about the Shastric study. And as, as time went on, um, I realized and as I started studying more, so I took Bhakti Shastri then in, um, 10 years later, I took uh, Bhakti Vaibhav when it finally became available. And so as that went through, um, I realized that, well, if if you want to do a Shastrik study program, it's best to do it in a natural environment, you know, away from distractions, you're in nature, there's no, there's nothing there that's telling you that Krishna is not in control, you know, whereas if you're in the city. There's all sorts of things saying that, you know, this is in control. That's in control. Do this, do that.
1: Wow. I really like that point. That's such a, that's like a really, that's like really deep.
0: Yeah. Like having is. an
1: environment which is just nature, you feel like Krishna is more in control than in a city where there are so many things that are trying to control. Yeah.
0: They're, they're pulling attention away from Krishna. When you're in nature, it, it's not doing that. I mean, you can be distracted in nature. Absolutely but there's not as much of a competition for, you know, for attention.
1: Wow. I love that. That's deep. Awesome.
0: I mean, it's just Sattva Goon. It's, it's, you know, so it's, it's a more, it's definitely a more favorable atmosphere. And then of course it's like, you know, when you're, you're studying Shastra, you want to apply it in your life. That's the most important thing. It's not just that we can memorize it and spew it back to somebody It's that we should apply it. And so then I thought, okay, well, then in that case, we should also do as much as possible. Whatever we're doing should be engaged in Christian service. So everybody eats. So let's just try to, you know, grow everything that we need to eat. That way the the, the whole meditative process is there. You get a seed. It's Krishna's. You put it in the ground. That's Krishna's. You water it with Krishna's water. It comes up. You take care of it because it's your service. You harvest it. And then you offer it lovingly to Krishna's Beautiful.
1: Yeah
0: it's all connected so every every bit of your life can be connected like that if if you have the right focus and it's easier to do in the wilderness than it is in you know
1: right so then so then you so so this idea came about like early on but you didn't it didn't materialize until you were like okay i got money saved up and now i need to like why Kentucky or why that area of the, of the U S or even the world?
0: Yeah. So yeah, it took a bit to actually get the money cause I was in debt for a while and it actually, it, it it's, it's perfect the way it happened because when I started studying Bhakti Vai Bhav, I learned a valuable lesson from Beechman Dave that, um, and that's where I got the rest of that half a realization I was telling you about, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, he's there on his deathbed of arrows and you know, and is having a rough day. He's 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 like, Man, I just killed my relatives and my teachers, and right and he, he's super bummed out about it. And nobody can like pull him out of that funk, even Krishna. So Krishna brings him to Bishma Dev, who's there on his bed of arrows, right? And Bhishma Dev is just preaching to him Daivi Varnashram Dharma, right? Just you know, always engaging whatever you're doing, Krishna's service. And then at one point after he's, and he's preaching, he's preaching, he's straight up preaching, right? And then at one point, right before he leaves his body, he says, and part of the verse is, now let my thinking, feeling, and willing, which has so long been engaged in various occupational duties and activities, now be completely focused on Krishna. And I thought to myself, man, he was already focused completely on Krishna, as far as I can tell. Yeah. So if he's not satisfied with his level of, you know, of, of being completely solely focused on Krishna, then I shouldn't feel satisfied one bit. Right. right? And then I also realized at that point that, you know, that the other half of that realization that I can't rely on anybody. And that was, I can't rely on myself either, because if I'm relying on myself, I think I'm doing the work. And you know, then you're really, re- that's not Krishna consciousness, that's self-consciousness. And I was doing it for a good cause, sure. You know, I wanted to do it to, to preach Krishna consciousness, but the consciousness wasn't there. I wasn't Krishna conscious. I was Charuchandra conscious, right? And so, so when I got that realization, um, it was great because I did this sort of like test thing, you know, because before that, I couldn't save money no matter what. Like, I would put money aside and then I'd get some bill out of nowhere, right? Oh, I hate that. Or, you know, there would be an accident. Something something would happen where there's I couldn't put aside anything, you know, no matter how hard I tried. So when I got this realization from Beachman Dave, I, I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I got this box, just a little like fire safe box. And I said, okay, Krishna, this is yours. You know, obviously everything's Krishna's. Everything is his. And we only borrow. We take our quota. But I said, look, this is yours um, whatever I put in this box stays in this box. It's not coming out unless it's getting spent for you. And if bills come up, I'm not taking it. You know, it's, it's yours. This is yours. So I put it, I did that. And I was tested a few times where, you know, some bills would come up and like that. And I wouldn't take it from the box. I said, you know, I'd sell something or I'd, you know, just pay the bill a little bit late or whatever the case may be. But I'll I'll make it work. And as soon as I did that, and obviously I was, it wasn't just a one or two tests. It was several tests to see if I would, you know, dip into that box. And I never did. And so wow. when Krishna finally saw, okay, he's serious, he's, you know, not going to touch it. Then within, you know, within a season, I was able to get this property the first time. Wow. And it was all completely Krishna's arrangement. And all I had to do was step back and, and you know, let let him do it.
1: I love that point, letting Krishna, you know, not relying on yourself, but relying on Krishna. And you had to come to that realization after having a half realization a long some, years, some years ago, and then you had that full realization. You know, I just want to kind of deep, get, get a little bit deeper into that before we go into the details of the commune. But how would someone like someone who's like me, how would the how would I do that? practically in my life not not to like a more general practical way of how I can't I can be less me consciousness and more Krishna conscious in the sense of seeing his hand in everything and not not try to always hang on to control because there's so much fear involved in that like when you lose control so much fear you know it's
0: yeah yeah that's a great question and it's it is the question because that's what our movement's all about it's all about you know redirecting our consciousness from being self-centric to being god-centric and so anyone can do it from it doesn't matter where you're living or what occupation you have sri la said all the time krishna consciousness is for everyone um so what it takes is and what helped me obviously studying the shastra oh wow but uh (laughs) confirmed confirmed i was just gonna say (laughs) (laughs) shastra (laughs) obviously uh, studying shastra but then what really helped me was um i i would i would examine um how much time or what i spent my time on throughout the day you know so there's 24 hours in a day we sleep we sleep for a certain amount and then you know but in our waking hours we do so many different things like so most people have to work right and so they do their job and then, you know, they have recreation time that they put aside. And, you know, so they, they have, you know, full schedule. Right. And all of these things that we do can be connected to Krishna. But until we realize how to do that, until we see actually how to do because everything is Krishna. Everything is just part of Krishna. But we see it through our own eyes and see how things serve us instead of how it's supposed to be used to serve Krishna. So until we can actually get that uh, realization and start engaging all of our daily um, activities in Krishna service, what we can do is just see, okay, what percentage of the day or how many minutes or hours, seconds even, do I actually think of Krishna? And am I, am I striving to actually serve Krishna? And we find that in the beginning, sometimes even when we're chanting Japa, we're not doing that. You know, we're doing it out of the sense of duty and we're distracted. We're thinking of so many other things. And so you don't even count that, you know, hour and a half, two hours necessarily, unless you're actually focused. Yeah. Start seeing like what, what, what actually connects me. So for some people it's kirtan, for some people it's prasad. Different people have different things where they actually feel that connection to Krishna and they feel that they can step back and just do that. So what I always recommend is, Find that first and then just increase that um, throughout your day. Like, so if you do that for like, let's say five minutes a day, okay, do it for five minutes a day, but never, never miss it, you know, always do that for, you know, put that time aside and then just gradually increase it and take notice of how your life is changing. Right. Mm. And so after that, so that's the first the first step is like whatever you do that you feel actually a connection with Krishna. Not that makes you feel good necessarily, but w- that you actually feel, okay, I'm doing this for Krishna.
1: Everyone has something specific that they might to. yeah.
0: And then so after doing that for a while, the next thing is to bring in study of Shastra. And there's no thunder for that one, but <laughs> that's a very important thing. So Guru yeah. Sadhu and Shastra. Are the you know the three most important things. And it turns out they're all actually the same thing that's Shastra, because Guru only talks about Shastra, the sadhus only talk about Shastra, and Shastra Shastra. So it's Shastra in three different forms, right? Right. And so it's like the most important thing um, in our philosophy because it's what it's what educates us. So obviously chanting is the most important thing also. The Chaito Dharpana Marjana, it, it it clears the consciousness so that we can see things, but then once that consciousness is clear and we can start seeing things as they are, the way we know if we're perceiving something correctly or not is through Shastra. It's not just, you know, I have a feeling that this is true. No, it's, it has to be confirmed through Shastra. So, so taking, taking time to just read Shastra, um, whether it's alone or whether it's with a group, preferably with a group because it's more dynamic. You can, you can sort of, Play off of each other's realizations. Um, but that's a thing that it just, it helps a lot. So if like I said, if you do it for, you know, even if you start for like 10 minutes a day, that's hardly any part of the day, you know, Mm-mm. but if you do that, and even when it's, even when it's hard to do, like, you know, got a lot of other things going on, or your favorite podcast is on, you want to listen to that, or whatever the case may be. No, this is the time that I set aside, and I'm going to do it. And so Being uh, determined and and, uh, kind of like relentless in this is is what we need to do. And then gradually uh, we start seeing things clear and then we get these, you know, uh, since since we start seeing things actually as they are, we can start using things properly in Christian service. So that's basically how anyone can, you know, gradually redirect their consciousness from self-consciousness to Christian consciousness.
1: Wow so just to review i would say the first thing from what you were saying is that find something that that inspires you some spiritual activity and do that a little bit per day and don't miss it and try to increase it and secondly is to study shastra yeah with a group perhaps or even alone i think that's the i think the fact that you that that's part of your steps is is, is is this means it's really important. and I feel like did you you have personal experience of that changing your life studying yeah. deeply?
0: Absolutely. So like I said we're not in 95 we went to bhakti Shastri and that changed my life because it was like you know there were things that I knew sort of about the philosophy. yeah, but it wasn't confirmed so it didn't have the authority, right? so knowing where it comes from and how to apply it, that was like a very important thing for me. Um, but after that, like I said, I was still having partial realizations, right? You know, right. I knew that I couldn't depend on anybody, but I was still depending on myself. So it took more study. So as soon as I started studying again, and this was as soon as Bhakti Vibhav was available is when I started, you know, when I took it and, uh, As soon as I did that, it's just Krishna just gives you these realizations, you know, if you let him. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, I thought I was practicing Krishna consciousness for over a decade. And really, I was not really, you know, Mm. I I was appreciating Krishna. I was chanting Japa, I was following principles, um, but I wasn't actually dedicating my life to him. I wanted to. And I thought I was working my way up to that, but, you know, I wasn't doing a really good job of it. And so when I started studying Shastri, it, was just, it became clear that, oh, OK. And then we see this all, all the time. You know, I, I, I travel around a lot and everywhere I go and give class, I, I ask this of the people um, if they've ever experienced, you know, where, you know, like a plateau in their Krishna consciousness. Like they've they've made some advancement and then they just reach this point where it seems like. You know they're not really making so much advancement anymore. They're sort of like on this plat- like this plateau. Yeah. And everywhere I go, people are like, "Yeah, I've experienced that." And so I know it wasn't just me, and I know it's a common thing. And this is the material world, so this is you know, this is what our conditioning, you know, um, dictates us to to feel that you know we can only see things through our own eyes. And right. That's that's the consciousness of anyone in the material world. So to change that, it takes something powerful. And so chanting and the, the holy name and also studying Shastra. Uh, You're it.
1: saying that um, someone who may be feeling a plateau in their spiritual life, they just need to like ramp up the the hearing and chanting.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Wow. So, so I remember some years ago, you were – you were living in New Jersey for some amount of time. And then you would go to Mayapur for some amount of time and yeah. then come back again. And someone told me, Oh yeah, is going six months here. That's like the life. Tell us a little bit how you kind yeah. of did that. So and why did you do that?
0: So <clears throat> yeah, when I, when I told you about the, um, that box that I had that, I, that I put aside yeah, so that was right after my, my first season, I was living in, in New Jersey for half of the year. I was working at a, um, in like a tourist town i was doing art yeah and um and so after my first year working there i was finally able to sort of like pay off my debts and then bhakti vibhav of course was finally available and i was meant to take it in vrindavan and i had you know i had my ticket i you know paid for the, like everything was ready and a week before the course started or was supposed to start i get it i get a message from vrindavan and they were like hey we're not doing the bhakti Vaibhav because there were there weren't enough students. Oh, and man. I got so ticked off, man. I was <laughs> I was not equipoised in this situation. i was very angry. Right. You know, I wasn't in a position like I am now where you know I can let stuff roll off me. I was like I was mad. Yeah. And so you know I called my guru up I'm like, you know what am I supposed to do? And you know they suggested you know the courses being run in my course, so just go there. Right yeah like i already got my ticket to Delhi. like how and it's and the course started earlier so like i'm missing part of it i'm like i was really angry uh-huh. so anyway i made it happen i got there you know and krishna does this he you know he puts these little austerities before us to see how how determined we are like is he actually going to do it let's let's throw a few obstacles and see like are you really interested in studying Shastra? will you do what it takes like yeah. come- what happens when you get mad because the course is canceled? Are you just gonna you know stomp off, or you know you're gonna figure it? So, luckily, I wasn't that much of a jerk, and I went and I took it in Mysore. And um, and at this point, like, I didn't even look like a devotee. Like, I had this long beard because I was you know I was doing this kind of work, and you know, I had some. I had my cheekles up front. I had bangs instead of, <laughs> back. and. Uh, yeah, I didn't even really look like it. It's like, it like, whatever. It's like, because it's an external thing. It doesn't matter. It's how I yeah. felt comfortable. Yeah. And so I went and, you know, I was like, oh, geez, I guess I guess I'm, I should cut off my goatee. If I'm going to Mayapur and taking this course. Because honestly, when I was going to Vrindavan, I wasn't going to do it. I was like, whatever. Like, people are in Vrindavan and they look funky. <laughs> right. you know? And so... When I realized I was getting moved to my Mayapur, I asked my guru, I said, look, um, you know, I have this goatee for a reason. It's because back then when I shaved, I looked like I was like 12 years old. Mm. And so the work I was doing, it, it wasn't beneficial for me to look like I was 12 years old. Right. right and right. so I told him, I was like, I was like, I'm, you know, I have it for a reason. I'm sort of attached. But if you want me to cut it, because I'm representing you, I'm there as your disciple. If you want me to cut it off, I'll cut it off. And he said, well, you don't have to, but it'd be better if you did. So I, I did. Cut, cut it right
1: off. Yeah.
0: And so I took the course and then Bhishma Dave, like I said, you know, knocked me upside the head and said, dude, like you're not even anywhere near focused on Krishna. So don't even try to play like you are. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, got it. Check, you know, and just studying Shastra gives you this realization that, oh, you know what? I I, I haven't been doing it right. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why it wasn't working. And this goes back to when I was little, you know, and I saw that people, you know, you know, they weren't they weren't doing it right. You know, and that's why it didn't have any appeal to me. And so and that's why Krishna consciousness wasn't really having a huge effect on me at the time. So when I was able to do that, I was like, okay, bam. And then, you know, just like that, immediately the advancement started coming, you know. And so. That was that, that was that first year that I, that I went to my and that's, in that, in that, in that time. And it had such an impact on me. I was like, all right, well, me, I'm just going to go every year. Cause Baki by Bob, it's, it's, it's not just like a, a one-time course. It's yeah, you know, it's really long years. Yeah. So I think it was, I guess, four, four years at the time. They might be three now, mm-hmm. but, um, so I kept going. And so what I did was, like I said, when I, when I was in Jersey, I worked. It's a seasonal job. I worked in the summertime. So I was there for six months. And then i go to my port for six months. And uh, so just, you know, going through Bhakti Bhai Bhav. And then when I finished Bhakti Bhai Bhav, they, they actually didn't have it standardized yet. So we didn't yet, we didn't really graduate. There were only two of us that actually made it through all of it. And really? It, We didn't graduate yet because they didn't have it standardized yet. So it it wasn't really a thing yet. So we actually had to wait another two years. Uh, (laughs)
1: That's okay. You're out in the, you're out in the, you know, over there.
0: (laughs) So when I finished the Bhakti Vaibhav course, they didn't really have plans for a Bhakti Vedanta course. Right. And so I thought, well, I've got my winters and, and, and falls free. I'm just going to keep going to Mayapur and I, and I offered the MI I said look if you want you know maybe get a couple of other devotees too together and we'll, we'll just put the coursework together for you we'll study it and then we'll put it together and at the time the MI had somebody that was on it I guess they said yeah we have somebody that's doing it. I said okay that's fine no problem but I did, I did it anyway myself because you know at, at the Bhagavad Kami here I want to offer those courses here in America. The, you know, all of, all of the Shastri study courses. So I thought, all right, well, I'll just, I'll make the curriculum for, for my school in Kentucky. And so I, I kept doing that and I was writing the curriculum for the Bhakti Vedanta course, the second half of the Bhagavatam. And, um, one year when I was there, it was probably the, maybe the third year into that. Um, Bhakti Brihat Bhagavat Maharaj. He was, uh, Brihat Murdanga Prabhu at the time. Yeah. He was actually staying next to me so when i'd go there to study i'd stay in the senior brahmachari ashram in mayapur and uh so he was in the room next to me and we shared a veranda so sometimes we were out on the veranda and he'd see me and he asked hey w- you know what what are you doing i see you here every year you know are you, are you taking the bhakti vibhava and I said no actually i already did that um but now i'm studying bhakti Vedanta. and he said really what what material are you using and i said oh no i'm i'm, I'm actually making study guides for it you know so that so that i can teach it later wow and he said well do you mind if we use that can we use it for the mi and i said yeah if you want you can use it sure no problem so um yeah by the time i finished it that's that actually that's what they use now i mean they probably made a couple of adjustments to it but so they we use
1: we were there at the same time i think right when i was doing i was doing the deity worship course and i think you were doing some course as well right or you were teaching or
0: something so that year that was when I was working on the bhakti vedanta stuff and oh, I was okay. also teaching some of the bhakti vibhav course
1: So do you have the title of bhakti vedanta since you did it already or
0: No I have the title of bhakti vibhav but um, they don't give honorary certificates at the MI Okay I don't have the bhakti vedanta but I um I've I've also studied through the Mayapur Gurukul. And then I started doing a service there because once I finished doing that Seva for Mayapur Institute, then the Bhagavad Vedanta Academy, you know, I had I made some friends there. Yeah, and They said, Hey, you know, do you want to do that again? What you just did go through Bhagavatam again and make a study, like a different format, obviously. Yeah. Um, And I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. So <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up helping out. I wrote a, a, a decent chunk of their coursework for, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and then I'm almost finished with their coursework for the Chaitanya Charitamrita. I did; it, I'm on the last book, so I'm, I just have to finish up the Shriyashastika, and then it's it's finished.
1: Wow, what an accomplishment! For those listeners who don't know, Srila Prabhupada gave some instructions to devotees about standardizing and studying, uh, you know, his books, Srimad Bhagavatam, like in a very, uh, you know nice and uh, structured way. And, and whoever did that, you know, it was like first Bhakti Shastri, then Bhakti Vaibhava, then Bhakti Vedanta. And if you finish that, you get the title. It is a letter where he's like, and we will give out the title.
0: What's that? Bhakti Sarvabhama is after
1: that, the Chaitanya chart Oh, right. Bhakti Boma Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah so yeah, very interesting. So then l- now let's talk a little bit about the details about the commune because why Kentucky?
0: So I was looking for property that was, first of all, it, I needed it to be free from distraction. So far enough away from, you City. know, the hustle and bustle. Yeah. Um, I needed it to be affordable because I'm not money bags. And <laughs> I needed it to be, I wanted I wanted a year round stream that ran through it. Um, oh. I was hoping that I could get some sort of waterfalls and caves, which I got. Uh, and I needed a place that didn't have building restrictions or like codes. Because I want to build a lot of stuff, natural buildings. And, you know, if you try to do that in a state like New Jersey or Pennsylvania, or New York, maybe in upstate, you might be able to get away with it. But there are so many different restrictions and permits that you have to get. And it's just really it's not the it's not like the permits that I was worried about. It's the money for the permits. You know, it's just like yeah. it costs so much to do all these things. So. I looked, it took me a while to find this property. Um, I was looking everywhere from Maine all the way down to Georgia and then inland all the way, you know, I was looking pretty much everywhere and, you know, looking online and then I'd visit properties in person and I probably, I probably looked at like actually visited at least 50 properties. And when I finally found this one, it had like, it checked off every box that I had, it has, you know, There's actually a river that runs through it. Um, it has this cool tunnel that you have to drive through to get here. That it's actually the boundary of my property. It used to be an old railroad tunnel, and then there's a another tunnel that the creek runs through, and there's waterfalls all over the property. And it's just it's uh it's so peaceful that you know, it was like when I got here, I knew it was the place. And so it didn't bother me that, you know, because like when I went to study Shastra. You know, I had to fly to India, and so I thought, well, people don't have to fly to India; they can take a short road trip, or they can even fly here if they want. But yeah, you know, but it's it's far enough away from the distractions, and it's a nice Sufic atmosphere, and there's not too many distractions where you know people would just be focused on something else.
1: Wow, so, so that's amazing. How far is it from New Jersey driving?
0: Um, so it takes. Well, I drive kind of fast. It takes me eight hours from northeastern Pennsylvania, probably okay. nine.
1: When yeah. I
0: used to drive from Wildwood, New Jersey, it took between nine and ten hours.
1: So I want to talk about this uh, Hobbit house. What do you call it, the Hobbit house? Yeah. So for our listeners, I mean, I wish I could. we could show you this. I should have kind of prepared this beforehand, but – we will connect you with Charu Chandra oh, Prabhu on yeah. uh, Facebook. I'll send so, you can,
0: pictures and you can pop them up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, he created so, so I'll tell you what my conception of it, and then you can tell me what the real thing is. So, there's a cliff, like a like kind of an overhang, like a cave. And then within that cave, Charu Chandra Prabhu created like his own little house, like a room with a stove, all made out of rocks. And then, and then basically closed off the cave with like a huge circular door and like stainless, stained glass windows and things like that. And there's a waterfall nearby. So you stayed there for some amount of time with no technology or running water or anything. Tell us about that. That's so fascinating.
0: Yeah. So for a full year, I stayed. so it took seven months to build. First off, I lived in a tent while I was doing that. But then once it was built, I took an entire year. It was from the end of May of 18 to the end of May of 19. And I didn't use any electricity the whole year. I didn't use anything powered by gasoline. And all I did was study Chaitanya Lila because that was when I transitioned from writing study guides for Srimad Bhagavatam to writing study guides for Chaitanya Charitamrita. And so I told the school, I said, said, look, I mean, I've read Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, but I haven't studied it. So I don't feel comfortable writing a study guide for it. Yeah. Until I go and like delve into it and actually study it. So that was what I did that year. I, I studied Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita twice, uh Chaitanya Bhagavat once, and then I went through Chaitanya Mangala and basically just you know got to know Lord Chaitanya.
1: Oh, so let's look at this. Oh I'm able go. I'm able to share the screen here. So well, how do we go to the next one now? Okay, so this is the overhang we're talking about, right?
0: Yeah, that's, that's what it looked like, you know, before I built anything. And there it is just from another angle. And then, so you see those little holes in the yeah. rock here? Yeah. That's just made with, it's called a star chisel. It's kind of shaped like a, like a Phillips head screwdriver, but it's a chisel. And then you use that sledgehammer and you just keep hitting and turning and pouring water in it and it drills a hole. And then once you have a, a line of holes like that, you put these metal wedges in and you bang on the oh, there they are. And so you bang on those and then it just splits the rock open. It makes a nice straight line.
1: Oh my goodness. Fantastic. So you what are try, you trying to do with why are you trying to split this?
0: So to make, stones to actually build with so Mm -hmm. first of all that that slab was actually inside of where the house is now
1: Uh
0: i was i was both removing the material that i needed to remove and i was also creating the material that i used to build the walls
1: i see okay there's a there's a there's a number of pictures so there's the real cool stuff coming up but for our listeners who are just listening to just the audio i'm really sorry but uh you're not able to see this but uh you can go to his facebook page and see these pictures i assume um i think they're public so this is the splitting of the rock
0: yeah so that's a straight line it's it's six foot by two foot by four foot that slab that i split off there oh my god that's the first one i ever split off um and the if you look at the the top left there there's sort of like a green rock there yeah that bit's still there that's actually my bed. That's where I sleep now. <laughs>
1: Are you living here right now at this moment?
0: Yeah, actually right now I'm staying in a tent again because I'm building, an, I'm building another house and okay. I'd like to be very close to what I'm working on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm there on the property right now. I'm in the neighborhood. So Yeah. So after I split off that, that big slab, you cut it off into smaller slabs the same way. Yeah. And then those became the, the foundation stones for the wall what's this? this this is great so one day so i'm you know digging this foundation ditch under this rock overhang and one day it starts raining like it's raining right now yeah and uh so the next morning i go to work on the on the hobbit house again and i see that the the foundation ditch is full of water <laughs> <What>? i was <laughs> like oh, no. what i was like how is it possible because you know it's underneath the rock overhang so the rain couldn't have blown in like that right right and I'm freaking out because I'm like you know I'm building a house and it's just going to fill up with water yeah So I start looking around and I realize that there's just a little hole it's like five eighths of an inch you could like stick your thumb in it and it's kind of like sort of like in the top left there's like a little crack that goes down and then there's like a little hole you can kind of see it Uh uh-huh anyway the water was only coming from there so what I did was I built a stone box to capture the water, and then I have pipes that divert that captured water into a, a cistern, a 150-gallon cistern. And so now I have 150 gallons of stored water inside of the hobbit house, and I use a hand pump in a sink to.
1: Oh my goodness! It just up. happened to be like that. It wasn't that you absolutely
0: kind of all arrangement. So it was like it was one of those things where at first I freaked out, and then I was like, oh, thanks. So now <laughs> I have water.
1: Amazing. This is just uh, okay so if you see look on the right side of your screen here that's just the that's just the wilderness there on the yeah. side of that cliff So you can kind of see on the left the top left is where the overhang is
0: So this, fella, this fella he's he's great he lives uh, he lives about 6 miles away His name is Mr. Chickadee And, uh, he, he has a, he has a YouTube channel, Mr. Chickadee, Oh, he like makes his own tools and he, he, he's like a really good natural builder. Amazing. So he, so how did he, how did
1: you connect with him?
0: He actually, after I sold the property the first time I sold it back to the person I bought it from, and then he actually bought it from that fellow. Oh. And so when I bought the property back, I bought it back from this guy. Oh, I see. And uh, because he had, he had a similar issue I did before is is uh, when the river that runs through it, when it rains like it is now, the water comes up really high and a lot of the land, like on the roadside, becomes flooded. Oh. So even though most of the land is, you know, it's on the other side of the river and it's way higher and there's no problem there, it's not as accessible as the roadside. Mm. So when he found that out, he was like, I, I, can't, I can't do my project here. And so... Mm. He sold it to me. So I got it back.
1: Wow. So this is he built this?
0: Yeah. So he helped me build that. It's, it's a timber frame door frame. That's wow. the, the one door frame. This
1: looks like something. There's a drain here.
0: Yeah. So this is what you're looking at now is the subfloor. The current floor is actually over a foot above that. So okay. what I did was I made a subfloor with a drain and there's a whole lot of gravel under there now. So if any... Uh, moisture gets trapped in there water comes in, it runs down through that drain and gets emptied outside underneath what the actual floor is right now
1: oh I see, smart this is the what's this pipe in the center?
0: yeah so you can see that the pipe that's the drain for the sink and then the other pipe on the left is the one that feeds I have another um, another cistern that sits underneath the sink, it's just a 10 gallon one and that's what the pump is connected to
1: So that's the the view from looking out. It's like this beautiful, just wilderness. What's the climate like there?
0: Um, I mean, it's cooler, but it's pretty humid. This house house I built on the, I mean, obviously it's in a cave, so it's humid. But it's also on the north face, so it's more humid. Yeah. Because of the proximity to the waterfall, I just, you know, I I couldn't resist. Yeah. So I just had to build there.
1: So you build. So you. Wh- where does this um, mortar come from? Did you make it yourself, or you bought it, or?
0: Yeah. Well, I made it myself. You have to buy part of it. So you buy um, Portland cement, and then mm-hmm. you mix that with sand. All the sand I got right there from underneath that overhang.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's three parts sand, one part Portland cement, and then you mix it with the right amount of water. And
1: you could see it coming together now. That's where the door. That's where. But that's not the circular door, right? That's no, another. No, that's
0: door? The, the other door. The back door
1: back door okay looks like you're using uh local lumber here
0: yeah so this was all i had to clear uh, a place for where um i have a shipping container where i store all my tools and stuff yeah so when i had to clear that area to get that dropped off by the road i had to cut down a few poplar trees and so what i'm doing here in this picture you can see there's a you know squared off piece of log It's, it's called a timber And that tool next to it that looks sort of like a hoe, yeah, it's called an adze. It's very sharp. Uh That's what that's what you use to, or that's what I used in this particular application to make a round log square. And so this this was for you know I framed out an area around where the cistern is inside, and that's all made of hand hewn lumber. You can see how that. Oh
1: my god, that's a lot of work. Wow.
0: And then they are squared off. All right, and then there I actually had to form them that one in the next one uh-huh. to actually to to fit up against the, the rock up top. Oh my goodness. And then it all fits. You can see the little notch there. Oh my gosh. And so it all just fits perfectly up in there.
1: You're just covering the covering the water tank.
0: Yeah just to you know just to you know make that sort of like a separate room and then there's the other water tank for this sink now. ATV. Yeah. So while I was building, I I did use some technology. um, Right. Obviously.
1: Oh, this is cool. I remember seeing this. This is like the top of the doorway, right? You had to kind of get the perfect rocks together to make an arch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You need to make that. Well, that, that middle one's the most important one, the keystone that's for the, uh, smaller stained glass window that. Right. So I did that one, the smaller stained glass window. And then I did an arch for the, for the door. After that, and then one for the big window after that.
1: Oh, there's the pump that you're talking about, hand pump. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell us about this. This is fantastic. So who did
0: this? So, Okay, so I have a friend. Her name is Maria Sams, and um, she actually lived near uh, Adikarta Prabhu and his wife had a, a farm project also in Kentucky. Right. This is when I was at the other, other property in Kentucky, and close to their farm was... Like just like a, a mile and a half down the road was this this lady, Maria, and she has a stained glass studio. So we became friends. I met through them. And, you know, we've kept in touch over the years. And when I wanted to build this house, I, I really wanted to have this stained glass window. So I asked her, you know, if she would build it for me. And um, I actually did a trade. I, I didn't even have to pay for it. I did a trade. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So I got that, and then then the bigger the bigger stained glass window, which you'll see later. You know, I asked her since she's in glass. I asked her if if she knew of um, a place where I can get plexiglass because it's the big one. It's six foot round. It's big, and so I was just asking her if she had a source to get plexiglass. Yeah. And she said, Yeah, I do, but what what do you, what what's what are you going to use? What are you using it for? And so I told her. And she said, "Well, why don't you just do that in stained glass also?" And I said, "That's six. That's big. I was like, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of trade." And she's like, yeah. well, "I I need it." So I I just did a whole bunch of art for her, and then she made that for me.
1: Wow. Wood burning stove definitely needed during the winter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that wood burning stove actually was donated by um, another neighbor. I became friends with. He's a disabled veteran. Uh huh. And. You know, when he found out that I was building a hobbit house in the woods, he said, "Well, tell me, how are you gonna how are you gonna stay warm?" And I said, "Well, I'm gonna put a wood stove in there." He said, "Do you have it yet?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, don't get one." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> and he he went out and got me one.
1: Amazing.
0: Really nice neighbors.
1: It's 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 really cool how people become so excited about like a project like this when it's like actually a very simple thing, but it's like such an out of the ordinary thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And somehow, you know, so I've been working on this for a while. Not this, but you know, the project, Bhagavat Kami.
1: Yeah. And it
0: wasn't until I, you know, and I, you know, I had some people coming. I had, you know, we, we had a few festivals, there were like 35 devotees there. Mm-hmm. But um it never really started kicking off until I built this Hobbit House. And then all of a sudden people were really interested. I guess, you know, because then they see the application of it. It's not just yeah, yeah. hearing about it, it's actually seeing how you can You know build something out of natural materials and live a simple life
1: right so if you see here in this picture here's the overhang and then it's starting to get closed in now by these by the different rocks and mortar and things which is really cool what's this
0: so this is um that ends up becoming the outside window frame of the big stained glass window so it's a circular window so you have to make a big wooden circle but the easiest way to do that is first make a big wooden octagon right cut that into a circle so these these are the yeah so you can see the inside of the octagon on the, the the bottom one yeah and then on the outside you can see where i've you know cut off the the circle
1: oh i remember seeing these pictures this was super cool
0: this is so the inside those four inside pieces those are hemlock
1: right hemlock right
0: those are those are like Three of them are within eyeshot of the Hobbit House, and then okay. one of them is still on my property, but a little little further away. And this, I don't know if you recognize this particular pattern. Maybe do you?
1: It looks familiar for some reason.
0: Okay. Well, it's, t- t- <laughs> it's, from, it's from Doctor Strange.
1: Oh, okay. I have not seen that.
0: Well, well. So I knew of it from the comic book. Anyway, that's. I see. I, I see. Okay. Marked with that, but um. And, you know, it's in the movie too, but but yeah. So
1: so you built this. Uh, so this is the big the the big door,
0: right? The big one is the form for the window. The, oh, the window. The small circle to the right. That is what becomes the door. That's a. Oh, foot. okay. So I wanted it to be a, a small door because it's, you know, a Hobbit house. Right. So it's four foot round. So you know, you have to you have to duck to get in it. Oh, okay. But you know, it's one of those things where when you walk up onto it, you're like, oh my. Man, look at that. It's yeah, it's a hobbit house.
1: <laughs> oh, fantastic. That is so What was the significance of having another door?
0: So, I wanted to have that back door. There's my mom helping out. So, I wanted oh to have gosh, that back God. door because then it faces yeah. it faces the waterfall. Right. And and I put a deck back there also. And I didn't have enough room to make another round door there. Mm-hmm. So, I just did that rectangular one.
1: So, so what did your mom think of and your parents think of all this?
0: So my parents absolutely love it. Um, My mom comes and visits a lot. Uh, My dad, while I was building it, came and and helped a couple of times. Uh, Right now he's, he can't get around so much. There's him. That's my dad. He was helping me build a a walking bridge. Wow. Actually rode the four-wheeler over that a couple of times. But uh, yeah, no, they love it. They love it.
1: What did they, what did they think about when you became a devotee though?
0: So, when I first became a devotee, you know, it was, it was the early 90s, and they didn't know much about it. So, at first, they were a little freaked out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's funny because, and ironic a little bit, um, you know, first, we would just have all these conversations and, like, sort of arguments. And then, eventually, when I went off to, to art school, um, I, was, I was away in Pittsburgh, and my mom got a hold of Monkey on a Stick. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, right? I, we say, oh, no. But actually, like I said, it was ironic because she – so she read it, the whole thing. She didn't just read parts of it and get, like, freaked out and say, you know, you've joined a cult. She um she called me up one day, and, you know, she had that concern in her voice. And I said, okay, what's, what's up, Ma? She said – and, you know, because I was living in Pittsburgh, which is close to New Vrindavan. Yeah, right. And so that made her a little more nervous. So she said, so tell me. Who's your guru? And I said, Oh, well, Ravindra Swarup Prabhu. And she said, Oh, William Deadweiler. Yeah, he helped kick out those corrupt guys. I like him. <laughs> I like, All right. And at that point, honestly, I didn't know about the corruption.
1: Like, right. Right. You
0: know, I heard a little bit about it, but like I didn't, you know. So she knew more about it than I did. Wow. But, uh, yeah. No. She. So she read about my guru and monkey on a stick, and she, you know, approved of of <laughs> what crazy. he was doing. so <laughs>
1: ironic.
0: Yeah. But now, you know, now they they really like what I do. Um, yeah. You know, because they see that it's a really healthy lifestyle. And, uh-huh. You know, I've grown a lot uh, since since I became a devotee. I've become much calmer, uh, much more reasonable. Um, mm. You know, I mean, pretty much. Any quality I have now, I didn't have any of those <laughs> back then. Wow. So it's all because of, you know, all because of the, the process of devotional service.
1: Right. So we see here, like everything's almost fully closed in here. And that uh, circle there is going to be a big stained glass window that we saw with that Doctor Strange. Um,
0: right. Yeah. So first you have to make a form so you can get the, you know, the rocks to go in and stay. And then that keystone keeps it from collapsing. Right. And then you can take the form out and put that in. So th- this is the frame of the four-foot door. Okay. So you can see I used uh, trees right from the property. You saw the live edge. Right. right. Well, this is
1: almost fully enclosed.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: Oh, this is the inside. It looks so cool inside.
0: Wow. Yeah, so this is when – so now you can see the gravel on the on the ground. So that's before I did the mud floor, but that's, you know, underneath that about a foot is where that um, – Yeah. Was. And that's my sister also. So my oh, sister wow. and mom – Helped me put that window in. We carried it down and we got it set in place. And then oh my, my mom, gosh. you know, beat it in with a hammer as I held it in place.
1: Amazing. Amazing.
0: Yep, that's my sister.
1: Oh, there's the door. It looks really good.
0: Yeah, there's the door. That's the window without glass in it. And then, so there's me installing the chimney.
1: All right, right. You need an exhaust.
0: Yeah. And door. Then, yeah, cutting the the circle for the door. There's the door. Look at that. there it is once it's sealed, yeah.
1: Amazing. How do you how do you circulate air if it's hot?
0: So there's two vents. You can see one of them just above, uh, right. so up into the left of the big window, right and here. There's another one just up into the right of the chimney, right, right. there. Those two. So that air goes through, but it's, it's a cave. So it wants to stay 50 degrees at all times. It's got that geothermal insulation, 50
1: so it, Fahrenheit all the time.
0: Yes. That's what it wants to stay. So right. if it drops below zero outside. It'll, it'll go down to, you know, 40, 38 was the lowest it's it's been in there when it was below zero outside. Uh-huh. And when it's like a hundred out, it, it'll get up to close to 70 in there, but not quite wow it actually feels like when you go in there it feels like air conditioning but it is (laughs) it is humid.
1: fantastic i assume this is an altar
0: it is but so it didn't last very long so it like i said it's humid in there so when i installed this there's it's 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 an altar for i have a hanuman deity that i um i make a garland for him every tuesday right garland so i made him this altar and he was meant to live in there with me and um it was, it's so humid in there that uh, mold grew on that door. Oh, I see. Just, it got, it got wrecked. So I had to take it apart. And, and my mine is also wood. So I couldn't bring them in there for that, for that period of time. Right. So when right. I studied this, since it's humid, when I studied there, even I would only bring the books out when I was using them and then I'd seal them away in plastic containers. Otherwise, they would have gotten soggy. So oh. this is mixing the, the mud floor. So I did it like, like they do in West Bengal, in Mayapur. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cow dung, clay, sand, and water. Wow! And here it is, finished, nice and smooth.
1: Amazing! What did you? Okay, this is a, before I ask you about what you ate. This is cool. Look at this. Uh, this is a design with T Lux on it, and I know because Charu Chandra Prabhu here is an artist, so I assume you did this art.
0: I did. Yeah. So what I did was after I made that window, I traced out the the nine sections that I needed. Yeah. And then I laid the I laid the design out on the computer um just cuz it's symmetrical. But then I but then I went and and you know drew it in section by section.
1: Wow. And here I see icicles, must be winter time.
0: That was yeah, that was January. And there I am just I had to make the the rabbit on the window a little bigger cuz when Maria made the stained glass, she made it slightly larger than the Okay. But they're oh in the my goodness. That is fantastic.
1: That's glass. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. How did you carry that down to where this is?
0: So, well, it's in nine pieces. So, oh, I see. Gotcha. Okay. It's not in one piece. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Look at that. Now to all the listeners, would you go to this kind of effort to build your, your house in the woods? And if you don't, if you say you wouldn't, why not? What's I'm stopping
0: crazy. you? <laughs> wouldn't you? you know I do, yes so the great part of this was like you know so do it like building this you know you're using rocks right these are krishna's bones yeah th- so they have structural integrity and so it, like the whole process and then you're using the trees the hairs on his body so like the whole process is very meditative mm. so you're doing, and this is my friend josh he came to help me build a back deck um so when you're when you're doing this it's like it doesn't even feel like work you know it feels like Sava. It feels like service, right? So, yeah, it, you know, it took seven months, but like honestly, it didn't feel like that. Felt- seven
1: months is, is not that long, I think, to do this amazing job. I mean, this this is gonna stay here for centuries. It feels like the way you built it.
0: Oh, definitely. So the the wood might give out, but all the stone will definitely be there. And I mean, most of the most of the wood will stay, like the window and all that. But some of the interior wood, like the cistern box. Yeah. That's getting really moist. So
1: so what did you what did you eat?
0: So okay, for that year, I generally I generally had like it was a lot of beans and rice and Uh kitri stuff like that. Sometimes I'd make pancakes in the morning, stuff like that. But yeah, simple stuff.
1: Wow. Amazing. So so now so you spent a year there. With no technology or anything, yeah. Did you did you ever feel like, like, what am I? You know, I, I need to meet someone or I need to see. I need to get some interaction, whether it's with, you know, through through you know, com phone or Facebook or something. Like, what's what's your realization? Just being like really isolated like that.
0: No, well, honestly, I thought I was going to be isolated, and I thought I, I wasn't actually going to talk the whole time, aside from chanting no. but I, I thought I was going to lose my voice but i actually met a lot of people (laughs) so i got a lot of visitors um you know like devotees and family um but also some locals so there's a there's a fellow who lives right up the up just up the creek from me and when he was young his whole family would come down and play on that waterfall that's below me they they called it the Tumbling rocks and they'd go and just hang out there because you know it's just right down the creek from me so one day while I was building the house, you know, this this fellow comes, you know, walking down the stream and he calls up to me and I said, hey, how's it going? And, you know, we started talking. I invited him up. He didn't come up that time because it was starting to get dark and he had to get home. But he he came to visit another time. And then so I got to meet him. I got to meet his family. Um, they actually invited me up for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year. So actually. <laughs> You know, they, you know, they didn't want me to be alone. Like, I wouldn't have minded being alone. But I thought, well, you know, they're inviting me. It's nice. And, you know, they're really great people. So so, um, yeah, I got to talk to way more people than I thought. And they actually that family started a church that's nearby. And so I had a bicycle. And so it was like five miles away. So they, they asked me this. You know, Do you want to you want to come and uh, check out our church sometime? And I said, sure. Yeah, why not? You know, I, I like hearing about God so uh yeah so i i went a bunch of times you know rode the bike out made some friends there you know i'm still i'm really good friends with the pastor over there now and and oh there's another another person i met was that there's this fellow who he's an author his name's tim callahan and he writes books that take place in this area this this very area and so um my friends up the Creek, they told me about it and they're like, Hey, there's this author who, who wrote a bunch of stories. They take place in the sixties, but they're about this area. And they said, you might want to read them because like some of it takes place on your property, like some of the stories. Right. And so I started reading them and, and they do. It's like, so, you know, I'm, I'm reading these stories about these kids having all these cool adventures on my property. (laughs) This is so rad. I, uh, I sent the author a letter and, uh, I was like hey man i'm reading your books i'm a big fan you know you know and i actually live on you know the property where you know so and so in the book lives and you know if if you want to check out my this house that i built and i i I wrote down the information on how he can you know look on facebook yeah and uh, so i sent that out and within i think it was four days i got a letter back and then within a week he was there visiting
1: Wow, and he was so, mind blown. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. He, and then actually, and then after that, so then we became really close friends. And he ended up in the story. Uh, he he based a character off of me. He's a Native American guy named casa who builds a Hobbit house. So my house is actually on the cover of one of his books. Really? Yeah, yeah. And oh my um, goodness. Yeah. So yeah, we, we So I, you know, I made I made a, a lot of friends. But honestly, I I would have been okay. Um. Without it, I would have been all right with it, Um, but you know, it was cool. It was cool that I got to meet all these really nice people.
1: Yeah. What are your future plans for the rest of the property? So you said you had something like 60 acres?
0: Yeah, yeah. So right now, uh, I mentioned I'm building another house. This is going to be a timber frame house, which is on top of a cliff. So basically, the area, it's kind of like triangle shape, and the two long sides, there's a 60-foot drop straight down and then on the short side is just where the path comes in. And for a long time I wanted to put a garden up there because it gets sun. And like everywhere else on my property it's it's mountainous, so it's like it doesn't really you'd have to clear a whole lot of trees to get a, a substantial amount of sun. Right. So I wanted to have a garden up there. And then I thought, well, I'm going to have to collect water because there's no water up there. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to build something. I may as well build like a guest house. And uh, so I'm going to build a timber frame house. It's you know like a story and a half, and um, that way when guests come, if they're not you know into the austerity of staying in the humid hobbit house, they can stay in the timber frame house, which also won't have electricity, but it'll be quite a bit more comfortable than staying there. I mean, not as cool, but right. Yeah.
1: So the, who's going to live in that? Are you going to live in that house?
0: So. Sometimes maybe. So basically in the Hobbit house, which I love, and I love staying in there. Cause like the best thing is when you, when you wake up and the sun hits that stained glass window, it's like, that's the first thing you see. Wow. So, so anybody that stayed there, that that's like their favorite thing to wake up there. So I love it there, but like I can't hang up any artwork or have any books out or anything like that. Cause it's so humid. Yeah. So this, the timber frame house, um, I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to like hang up the artwork. You know, I've got lots of paintings that different devotees have made for me. Like Jaya Dev Prabhu made some, some artwork for me. I've got nice. a lot of illustrations and stuff like that, that I'd, I'd love to put on display somewhere. And so th- I'll be able to do that and like keep books out on a shelf without worrying about it. Uh, but I mean, it will be a guest house. So whenever there's guests there, I, obviously I won't be there, but you know, it, it would be, a really great place to stay, especially in the winter. Uh, it faces south, so it gets sun. It'll, it'll it's going to be very efficient. This one.
1: Wow, very cool. How many square feet is that going to be?
0: Um, this one. Well, it's it's the downstairs is going to be twenty by sixteen. The upstairs is going to be ten by sixteen. Um, okay. So whatever that is. So it's still fairly small, but right. Big enough.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, what would you say to our listeners, how they could kind of like your goal is self-sufficiency right and to live off the grid and is that your goal
0: uh my goal is to connect everything to krishna and that's all of our goal actually right and so how that comes about on my end is you know any, any anything i build or anything so you know so i will try to grow all my own food not to become self-sufficient Just like, you know, when I, when I spent the year without electricity and gas powered stuff, it wasn't to like reduce my carbon footprint. That's like a, it's like a happy side effect. Like, I'm glad that I did that. That's great. But really it was, I I needed to eliminate distractions so I could study Chaitanya Chaitanya Leela, you know, and And that's what it's all about. So my only goal is to rid myself of distractions because that's what's keeping us from making spiritual advancement. And that's really all of our goals. That's, you know, we just do it in different ways and anybody can engage pretty much anything in Christian service. It's just, you have to figure out how that is done. And it's just easier to do in the woods, especially for me.
1: Wow. Yeah, because I thought you were going to say, oh, be self-sufficient, live off the grid. But you said connect sure. everything with Krishna. That's that's really deep. And I think with that kind of mindset, I'm sure that fueled you like anything to do like what you did, you know?
0: I mean, it's really – I mean, well, it's not the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it successfully, though. Um, right. Uh, it's the only way to do anything successfully, honestly.
1: Yeah. What would you say to someone who wants to kind of do what you're doing but is can't take such a drastic way to do it uh, because they have a family or they have certain engagements. What kind of little steps can they take to have a side effect of, of, you know, doing things, uh, you know, less carbon footprint, but also doing things more naturally that they can think of Krishna more easier. No,
0: it's a great question because most people can't just disappear into the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it took me a a bit before I could do it too, but Um, my suggestion is that just, you know, as often as possible for however long you can go on a retreat where, you know, you're going to be focused spiritually. And so this is a Vaishnava retreat. I'm not saying they have to come here, Um, but find a place that inspires you and go there as often as possible. And then just use that time to connect to Krishna, to, to get rid of the distractions and to truly connect with Krishna. Because then what happened is the taste increases. So it's right. all there in our philosophy. You have right. shorter then the Sarasanga, then the Bhajana Priya. And so it goes through. And so the taste can't develop if you're not trying, you know. So whenever possible, you just got to do it. Um, find a place that inspires you, where you feel connected to Krishna, uh, where you're away from the distractions. And We know what our distractions are. We know... You know, if, uh, you know, we have a Seva, right? And uh, maybe it's our favorite band or whatever. It's different for different people, but we know what our attachments are. And, you know, we'll, we'll sort of like drop or put off or do something, you know, and, and we'll do that. So we know what they are. We yeah. deal with them every day. And honestly, it takes up most of our days. We don't want to admit it. We'd like to say, oh, well, you know, I appreciate that movie because, you know, this particular person's in it, and he has a tattoo of Krishna, so it's okay. Right? <laughs> we want to like we want to justify things like that. Yes, it's not that watching movies is 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 you know can't be Krishna conscious. You can actually watch a movie and take away something from it. You know, like um, yeah. in the eleventh canto, you know, we learn from all different things in nature. You know, right. there's you know the twenty four gurus. So right, right, you can learn. you can learn from a movie it's just most people don't so it's like it's you know it's but we know what our distractions are yeah if we um if we consciously you know avoid those distractions and consciously focus on what actually inspires us in our krishna consciousness then then we can make advancement then we can actually get that taste and then it becomes spontaneous eventually it becomes spontaneous we do it automatically
1: I feel like I'm going to go my whole life just like being distracted and not ever getting taste. But what you're saying is that if you cut out the distractions, then it gives that chance for that taste to come in.
0: Absolutely. And it's just that, and it, you know, like I said, even if it's like, you know, a weekend out of the year at first, go and do something that you know is going to connect you to Krishna. That's, you're not going to be distracted, you know, where you honestly, too, it's not something where, oh, you know, I'll go to a Kirtan Mela or something and, you know, I'll gossip the whole time. Don't do that. Like, <laughs> if you're going to be absorbed at the Kirtan Mela, do that. I'm right. like, I'm not Kirtan Mela. It's great. I love it. But I'm saying, like, it's not that we should choose something that we think is going to be good, but then squander it. Like, yeah. to find things that we know we're going to be connected. We're not going to be distracted. And just do that, even if it's, like I said, one weekend a year for a while until you get the taste. Because the taste will come and then you know once the taste is there you find time to do it you know then it's a couple weekends then it's a couple weeks then it's a month then you realize that you don't really have to work a full time job you can work part of the year and then after that you know you can you know, it's just things fall into place really nicely when when this starts happening it's really
1: it's really a fantasy of mine to to live in a place that's really quiet and to like raise my family and just try to try to be really in Satwagun because here like when i close my eyes at night i hear the highway and that bothers me
0: i hear a waterfall (laughs) what do you hear a waterfall Oh my
1: gosh. I've been to places. I've been to places like when I went abroad and different places. Like I think we went to New Zealand. Yeah, it was New Zealand and we went camping for one night and, and it was like near a mountain. And it was incredibly quiet. Like so quiet that it was like it was bothering me how quiet it was because I'm not used to it. But it was so peaceful and so nice, you know? And that's something I, I I'm I'm hopefully I'm working towards. And I and I think all devotees should, like you said go on some kind of retreat where you can be with no distractions like you leave the phone at home everyone who you think is going to contact you tell them that you're going to be off you know yeah. when people didn't have phones no one like people didn't die, didn't die because they didn't have phones yeah. you know so i think there's a good time to, like to detox from technology even
0: absolutely and that's another thing that during that year that i was uh, unplugged i got letters and letters are so much better than you know, anything else, the better the <laughs> emails, the better than, because it's like, people only say what's important. Yes. Most, you know, for the most part. Right. I, I got a couple letters from my brother, uh, my late brother, who was talking about the weather and I'm like, dude, that was like a week ago. <laughs> 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 By the time I got it, he's talking about a storm coming in. Right.
1: So, like, sometimes
0: you're still just talking, whatever, but. Wow. Um, wow. But it was, no, it was nice that he kept in contact. with me. Right. Um,
1: well, for, um, for the most can- for- what's that?
0: For the most part, you know, letters are just, the best. Yeah,
1: that's, that's amazing. Well, Charles 100, it was really a pleasure to hear about you. I mean, I've known you for a number of years, but I, I didn't know about this, like very deep kind of background story. And I really, really appreciate it. And I, and I hope all the devotees can be inspired by your story, and to do their own part of to Get free from distractions and focus on Krishna. And, and I think you're a great example of that. And I really appreciate that. Can you leave us – I don't want to put you on the spot, but leave us with some kind of concluding words, please.
0: Um, Sure. Um, so you, I know you're familiar with this because I heard you talk about it um, with another guest that uh, Srila Prabhupada at one point, he uh, advised the devotees to boil the milk, right? Right. So that's what this project is, the Boil the Mill project. And what that means is, you know, he saw that we were filling the temples up with devotees, but they weren't getting the cultivation that they need. They weren't studying Shastra like that. And so he said, you know what, do this. Don't worry about filling up the temples. We're not worried about quantity at this point. Let's worry about the quality. Let's really, you know, the ones that we have here, let's really, you know, get them to understand what Krishna consciousness is apply it in their lives because that becomes the best preaching. You know, when we yeah. apply the philosophy in our lives, people notice that and they see that it works and like that's yeah. the best form of preaching ever. And so, and it's funny because when I, um, when I told my friends in Europe about, I have a lot of friends in Bulgaria for, that I know from my poor, when I told them about my project, they said, wait, so you're bridge preaching to devotees And I was like, no, no. And then I started, and then as I started explaining, I was like, actually, yeah, I guess I I kind of am.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting.
0: Um, It's needed. They don't have to do that there because in Europe, it's like in Bulgaria, at least, you know, you go out to these villages and even like the people that come to the temple sometimes, like they fast on a Kodachi. I'm not talking grains and beans. I'm talking they fast on a Kodachi. So like they get the training. right? um, They have Bhakti Shastri courses every year. Like Every year when my Bulgarian friends come back from Mayapur, they give seminars. And then so every year there's there's back the courses. And so like they have the training where you don't necessarily have to bridge preach to the devotees. But it's I mean, it kind of is boil the milk is kind of bridge preaching because there's a gap that we have. We devotees who have uh, found ourselves on this plateau and have want to move want to move beyond it. And and we don't know how to make that connection because we we haven't gotten it from Guru Sadhu and Shastra yet. So my message is get that from Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. Understand that gap um, so that we can continue to redirect our consciousness from self-conscious to Krishna-conscious. And that's our process. That's the only thing that we have to focus on is change wow. of consciousness.
1: Change of consciousness. Awesome. So cool. I, I want to have you again as your as your. Uh, project develops and and I think devotees have really uh would love to see how it progresses. So if you want to follow Charu Chandra Prabhu you can get him on Instagram. Here's his handle bhagavat.com Yoon. that's on Instagram. Uh, I hope you post on there because I know you just recently joined. And then um you can find him on Facebook if you want to see all those pictures. Charu Chandra Dasa on on Facebook you can be friends with him and you can uh see what he's doing and, and I hope you would put uh you know more uh, progress there—that from what you're doing—it would, would be really nice for the devotee community to see. I, again, thank you, Prabhu. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, thank you. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah. Fun. Okay, I'm gonna turn the the live off, but um, stay on, stay on. Okay. <laughs>